Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Can you imagine a country once infested with malaria to be declared malaria-free? This is exactly what is happening around the globe. Thanks to the incredibly impactful work of Malaria No More, countries are becoming malaria-free. Now, the question is, how did this global nonprofit get started and what's its mission? Well, my guest today is Martin Edlund, CEO of Malaria No More. And I'm thrilled to have him on the show to talk all about this really powerful and global-reaching nonprofit called Malaria No More. Enjoy today's show. Well, I'm thrilled to have Martin Edlin, CEO of Malaria No More, on the show today. Martin, thanks so much for calling in from Seattle today. Glad to be here. Thanks, Rob. As I mentioned in my intro, Malaria No More has been a very fast-growing nonprofit and really has a global reach. Talk about how you started. I understand it emerged out of a White House initiative to end malaria back in 2006. Give us the story of your beginnings and how you've grown this organization. Sure. Happy to. Well, you know, one of the things about Malaria No More is, is our name kind of says it all. You know, we're an organization that's that's really hell-bent on ending deaths from mosquito bites around the world. And as you say, we did start back in 2006. You know, at the time, there was very little focus on malaria. It was really one of the neglected tropical diseases, and yet one of the biggest killers of kids and pregnant women around the world. 1.2 million people were dying every year from mosquito bites, which in this day and age is just totally unacceptable. And so, you know, there was a moment back in 2006 where the U.S. government had just launched a fledgling program called the President's Malaria Initiative. And uh, our our founders had, had really been convinced that this was an opportunity to scale. Uh, in, in their words, this was, you know, malaria was the best humanitarian investment opportunity in the world today. It really grew out of experiences uh, with with a program called the Millennium Villages uh, that were trying to lift entire communities out of extreme poverty by tackling health, education, clean water, um, you know, inputs for agriculture, etc. But what they found in in these communities is the first thing that you did when you wanted to get kids back in school, people back to work, uh, you know, to get communities going and growing was you got people sleeping under mosquito nets and you got them access to timely testing and treatment for malaria. And that just had this massive multiplier effect. So back in 2006, Malaria No More was founded. We launched at the White House Summit on Malaria, which was hosted by President and Mrs. Bush. Um, the, the kind of pop culture counterpart to that was shortly after we launched, uh, we, we really kind of made the issue known to the American public through an event called American Idol Gives Back. Uh, so uh, one of our founders is Peter Chernin, who was the former president and COO of News Corp, and, and really used the American Idol platform, which at the time was uh, the most successful show in the history of American television, to, to get the word out. Reached about 30-plus uh, million American households, 
generated more than $20 million in, in donations for malaria. And between the White House Summit and American Idol really put this issue on the agenda and, uh, you know, set in motion a lot of the success we've seen over the last 12 years. What a great start. And you obviously have some star power uh, with your organization to have both the White House and then American Idol to kind of launch this organization. That's fantastic. Now, let's throw out some data for my listeners regarding malaria, the scope of malaria and its physical and economic impact. What I understand from your website, it says this, that in 2016, malaria claimed 455,000 lives and caused 216 million cases. Not only that, but malaria accounts for half of all the missed days in African schools. And of course, keeping children healthy enables parents then to go to work, number one, and reduce the need to spend their wages on malaria treatments and health care. And then economically, a 10% decrease in malaria has been associated with a 0.3% rise in GDP. Now, the list could go on. There's all kinds of interesting impacts that you've uh, been able to see firsthand through your work at Malaria No More. So how is your organization going about combating malaria, and what is your approach to this massive problem? You, you know, as you point out with the statistics, malaria is really uh, one of those issues that touches so many other things. You know, I, I'm obviously an advocate for malaria, and, and so, uh, you know, I can spin this any which way, but it's, it, it, it has the great benefit of actually being true that if you care about education, you need to care about malaria. If you care about women and girls, you need to care about malaria. Even if you care about things like health security or, or even national security and the, and the impact that kind of stabilizing countries and communities uh, has on those issues, you, you should care about malaria. So we found a real resonance and, and, and people have really responded to this issue. So, so how do we go about it and what, what have we done? Um, you know, our, our first focus was to put this on the agenda. Um, we had in our, you know, we started in New York and on the office wall, we had printed out one word per page, massive, urgent, global crisis. And that's what we were about at the outset, is just letting people know that every 30 seconds a child was dying from a mosquito bite. Uh, and so we needed to get the public involved. We needed to get the private sector. We needed to get governments involved. So a big part of our work has been about driving uh, the political will and the resources for the malaria fight. And that started with donor countries. So we've seen about a 1,000% increase in global financing for malaria. We're up just above $3 billion spent annually on the malaria fight. That's allowed us to set some really ambitious goals for scale-up of effective life-saving tools like insecticide-treated mosquito nets, rapid diagnostic tests for malaria, you know, costs less than a dollar for a full course of life-saving malaria treatment. Uh, and so we've been able to, over the last decade or so, uh, distribute uh, as a as a community, 1.6 billion mosquito nets on the African continent. So an entire generation uh, that, that used to sleep exposed to nighttime biting of mosquitoes is now safe under nets. And that's driven huge humanitarian impact. Um, we've seen 7 million lives saved from malaria over the last you know, 12 to 15 years. Uh, 1.3 malaria cases averted during that time. Uh, and so really driving the political will, the awareness has been the key driver of that. But we're also doing work uh, on the ground and, and in affected countries. So in Cameroon and West Africa and in Kenya and East Africa and now in India, 
Well, it's very impressive. It's obvious you've had a global impact and you're doing some great things. Uh, that's partly why I want you on the show here. So now quickly, before I go to the next question, tell us about your budget. It seems like you have a very large budget. Um, talk about what your budget is and how you allocate it. Sure. We're, we're actually not um, that big as kind of in terms of our own budget. Um, you know, we're, we're about a $10, $11 million a year organization, but using that money and, and using it well, we're able to unlock billions of dollars that's spent globally in the malaria fight. So we like to talk about this as one of the kind of best uh, returns on investment you can make. You know, invest in this work, invest in the malaria campaign, and we'll turn, you know, $10 or, or you know, $10,000 into 100 times that. Uh, through the impact of this work. Okay, you have a very bold goal to end malaria within our generation. It's a very impressive and very bold goal. Now, what is the progress of achieving this goal so far, and how do you measure your success? You know, when you have a name like Malaria No More, you really do have to keep your eye on on the big picture. You know, our um, our founders and our and our board and our partners are incredibly ambitious people who think at a global scale. Uh, and, and that helps us to stay focused on the big picture outcomes. How do we mobilize the resources? How do we get those life-saving uh, tools out there at scale to drive health impacts? So we measure success by uh, the markets in which we're working and whether we're getting the political commitments and, and the funding we need to keep this campaign going and growing. But at the end of the day, we measure our success by whether or not we're getting closer year by year to a world where no child's dying from a mosquito bite and, and where we can make malaria no more. And I, I talked about some of the global statistics over the last 12 or 15 years. We're, we're actually headed into a period of, of real opportunity but also challenge for the malaria campaign. So over the next two years, we expect 13 or more countries to eliminate malaria. So every two or three months, we're going to have a country that's declaring itself malaria-free, which is uh, really exciting and historic. At the same time, in uh, a small set of, of high-burden countries, we're actually seeing malaria on the rise for the first time. And so it's challenging us in the malaria partnership to think differently about how we and to adapt how we uh, wage this campaign. One of the most exciting uh, elements of this is, is really harnessing the power of data uh, to direct your resources. You know, when we started back in 2006, uh, we, you know, we had very little information. We were essentially treating every fever as a case of malaria. Uh, there were no point-of-care diagnostics. We've come such a long way in that time. Now, uh, you know, in the public sector, everyone who comes in with a fever, you actually test. Uh, takes a couple of minutes, it's over 99% accurate, to see if you have the malaria parasite in your body. And we like to say that every every test is is uh, is a data point. It's a plus or a minus, a one or a zero. And it, it gives you, if you can kind of pull all that data together, there are about 350 million of these tests administered every year. Uh, it gives you a, a real sense of, of where malaria is, kind of where it's going, and how you direct your resources to stop it. Uh, and so as we look forward, that's one of the most exciting innovations. How do we use all the technologies we hear about so much, whether it's um, mobile or mapping or, or, uh, or big data and crunching the numbers to get the world closer to, uh, to being malaria-free? 
Well, that's really, really interesting. And, and I saw on your website, speaking of this very, uh, to me, it's fascinating, you know, that if we're living in a time where countries are declaring themselves to be malaria-free, I saw on your website that um, Paraguay has become the first country in the Americas, in 45 years anyway, to be certified malaria-free by the World Health Organization. And you mentioned there's some other ones that are going to be other countries that are they're going to also become malaria free. Talk about that process. I mean, that sounds amazing. Like that is truly incredible. Talk about results and really changing an entire country. Um, how do you go about doing that? And how do they measure that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, the first thing I like to remind people is, because many don't know it, the U.S. used to be uh, malaria endemic, right? We had massive malaria uh, in the, the southeast and the, and the midwestern parts of the U.S., Actually, the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta were first created to drive malaria elimination in the United States, which is something we achieved by by 1951. And so it's really about equipping countries to, to do this work uh, effectively. And particularly as you're trying to eliminate a disease, you need really good surveillance. You need the ability to identify a case quickly and respond, and then uh, the capacity to deal with imported cases and make sure that it, malaria doesn't resurge and, and begin to spread again. And so the WHO, the World Health Organization, has a whole protocol they use for uh, making sure that the, the data shows that there's no uh, domestic malaria. Uh, you have to maintain that result for three years, uh, and you have to have the capacity to show that you can deal with uh, the prospect of, of imported malaria cases. And once those conditions are met, a country is declared malaria-free. Now, it's really exciting uh, what, what Paraguay did just a couple of weeks ago. What's even more exciting is as we look ahead, you know, 44 of the 90 uh, malaria-affected countries in the world now have fewer than 10,000 cases annually of malaria. So there's a, there's a huge swath of countries that are marching toward this goal of eliminating this disease. One of the things that we're proud of as Malaria No More is, is we're helping uh, in the Americas, the next region that's going to eliminate, get to that goal. So the Caribbean and Central America uh, is the area that, that has the lowest levels of malaria and will probably be the next to eliminate. But they have some capacity and financing gaps to get there. And so one of the things we worked on with partners, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Inter-American Development Bank, the Carlos Slim Foundation, is essentially to, to put together uh, uh, a facility, put together a deal that allows countries to bring some of their resources to the table, donors to bring other resources, for everyone to agree on, on how that's money, money spent to make sure that this set of eight countries in Central America and the Caribbean get to the goal of malaria elimination in the next three to five years. That's really interesting. It sounds like you do quite a bit, obviously, work with governments. So you're dealing with government leaders. Obviously, you're working with our government as well. Um, how do you blend that advocacy side on the one hand, but also really it's kind of, I would almost call it geopolitical work where you're working with the leaders of these countries to eliminate malaria. Uh, that's probably a pretty unique uh, set of tools that you have and or your organization have. Talk about that a little bit. I think my listeners would be fascinated to find out how do you go about making these alliances and then again, the end result being a malaria-free country. Sure. So, you know, the, the reality is if you want to solve an issue as difficult and complex and persistent as malaria at scale, you have to do it through through governments and, and with governments as partners. 
Um, governments led by the U.S. and the U.K. are the biggest donor nations on these kinds of issues. Uh, you know, the U.S. government spends about $1.25 billion annually now on the malaria fight. Uh, and so that's just vital to continuing this success. Uh, and so a lot of our work focuses on uh, partnering with leaders in the, in the U.S. government, the U.K. government, uh, Japan, uh, and with, with international institutions like the Global Fund and the World Bank to keep that funding going. Uh, the good news is uh, this is an issue that, that's beyond politics. You know, this, as I mentioned, started under President Bush back in 2005 and six. Uh, but it continued and grew under President Obama, and it's something that President Trump has highlighted as well. In fact, in his first UN General Assembly address, he talked about malaria as uh, one of two examples of continued U.S. humanitarian leadership in the world. And the day after that speech, the President's Malaria Initiative, which back in 2006 I described as that fledgling U.S. government program, announced that it was expanding to an additional five countries in Africa, protecting an additional 90 million people. So PMI is now up to 24 countries in Africa, plus some work in Asia. You know, and, and in order for that to happen, you need to, first of all, make an evidence-based case to political leaders. You know, we work with the administration directly. We work with the key agencies. We also work with Congress. Uh, we helped to set up and support in the House and the Senate uh, caucuses and groups that are focused on malaria and, and neglected tropical diseases. What's equally interesting is how you uh, work with malaria-affected countries and, and their leaders to get the job done. So one of our, our closest partners and, and really a sister organization is something called the African Leaders Malaria Alliance. As far as I'm aware, it's the first of its kind. It's a, it's a group now of 49 African heads of state who've committed to uh, ending malaria in their respective countries. Um, so twice a year, these 49 political leaders, presidents, get together and they measure uh, and track their success against this disease. And it's a, it, it's really a compelling scene. Uh, so you've got these presidents around the table. They're sitting and looking at a scorecard and it's, uh, it's, it's stoplight. So if things are going well, you're seeing a lot of green. If there's some work to do, it's yellow. And if they're in trouble, uh, it's it's in red. And you see them kind of tracing their country line and, and working across the page. And, and when they get to red spots, they kind of look at it, they look at their neighbors, and then you see them swivel in their chairs and look back at their ministries of health. And <laughs> you can tell they're saying, we're going to have a conversation about this. We've got we've to fix this. And so a big part of our, our work as we look ahead is is partnering uh, not, not just with the, the leaders, uh, from a donor standpoint, but also with those malaria-affected countries uh, that that um, you know that that ultimately are going to be responsible for their own success. Um, you know, you you can't do this for a country. Uh, fortunately, so many of these leaders have stepped up and said, "This is a priority. This is something that we're going to accomplish as a country," and, and we're happy to support them. Hey everybody, Rob Harder here. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I wanted to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. 
Is your business buried under piles of mail, checks, and invoices? Well, at Earth Class Mail, they reduce that clutter and streamline your task by converting these papers into digital documents and integrating with the platforms you already use. Their online tools help you identify checks and deposit them quickly and automatically, allowing you to focus on what matters most running your business. Check them out at earthclassmail.com slash pricing. In fact, you can use a promotion code called NLP for a special nonprofit leadership podcast discount. Now back to the show. Well, you do quite a bit of advocacy work and obviously work directly with, as you mentioned, government leaders, U.S. government leaders. For a lot of nonprofit listeners that are, you know, in nonprofit organization roles, say EDs, CEOs, or perhaps they're development directors, talk about how you go about that. Obviously, you've been very successful in building those relationships, building those alliances. Um, how do you go about it? Um, why you've been so skilled at it? Do you hire people specifically that have had training with government relations, for example, or do you have a training program that you build in? Or, but how have you been successful? Because I think for a lot of nonprofit leaders, that's a difficult task to go about to really develop those critical partnerships to expand their nonprofit reach. And, and you mentioned earlier about how you really expand your budget based on these partnerships and these relationships. So maybe talk about that, how you've done that so well. You know, I, I'm a big believer that it it all comes down to the talent and and the passion and and capacities of your team uh, to to get things done. And and in our work, it does mean having some specialized skills. You know, people who've served in government or or worked closely with government in the past. Um, you know, we have uh, members of our staff that are are former former staffers in in the House and Senate. People who've worked in the the State Department. Here in the U.S. context, uh, actually, one of our uh, the the alumni we're most proud of is um, uh, Mark Green, uh, a former congressman and, and U.S. ambassador to Tanzania, who's now uh, the, the head of USAID, so oversees all of uh, U.S. government humanitarian assistance programs and development programs. Uh, actually, worked with us when he first came back from Tanzania. So his his first job when he came back was was as our director of, of advocacy and policy in Washington D.C. and he set up that office. Uh, he's the one that worked with his former colleagues to set up those caucuses in the, in the House and Senate and and really um, reinforce those relationships with key congressional leaders and appropriators. And so we've uh, we've certainly enjoyed a lot of really specialized and and uh, kind of experienced staff who work in those areas. And, and I think that's been critical to our success. Yeah, it's very obvious that you've done really well with that. So that's excellent. Now, I understand you're also expanding your work like currently uh, globally, and you're specifically expanding your work in three malaria-affected regions of India and Asia, the Americas, of course, the West and East Africa regions. And you've already kind of talked a bit about that. But how do you adapt and apply your core model to these new settings now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and a, and a really fun set of challenges that we're, we're living and experiencing right now. Um, so, so I'll take India as an example. You know, India matters to malaria for so many reasons. Uh, you know, for one, uh, the malaria parasite was actually discovered in India back in, in 1897. Um, India is also really the proving ground for the world's ability to eliminate diseases. Uh, first with smallpox and then with polio and, and now uh, we hope and expect with malaria, 
you know, it forces you to solve the hard problems. And, and if you can do it in India, you can do it anywhere. There's also a real urgency around India because um, in, in malaria, one of our challenges is um, uh, drug resistance. So when uh, when you're using a treatment at scale, you know, the parasite is, is wily and smart and, and it begins to adapt. And, and we're seeing that happen in, in Southeast Asia and, and it's bordering India now. So we really need to eliminate malaria in India in the next 10 years in order to make sure that doesn't spread to other parts of the world. And so, uh, you know, we started by really trying to get our heads around the problem. Uh, we worked with our partners at the Gates Foundation and the Clinton Health Access Initiative, and we did a landscaping. And we looked at what are those technical, political uh, challenges that need to be addressed for, for India to get on track to its goal of, of ending malaria by 2030. Uh, we've also always found that you need kind of the, the, the best, uh, most senior advisors in market. And so we've been working with people like former U.S. Ambassador Rich Verma, uh, who recently joined our, our board of directors, to really think through how you affect change at scale in India. And the advice we got was, you know, you, you can't just start advocating at a central government level. You really have to demonstrate traction and success in a key state or states. And so we forged, forged a partnership with the highest burden malaria state in India. It's called the state of Odisha in eastern India. Uh, and we have a, a partnership with them. We're embedding staff with their malaria program. And we're supporting them to demonstrate the kind of innovation and, and traction uh, that we think can compel other states to follow the model, but also compel political leaders in Delhi at the central government level uh, to to really get behind this malaria elimination goal and and put the resources and support there that's needed. That's really interesting. And I know you have this bold mission and you need support for that, right? To support this vision and to end malaria in our generation in time. I know you're seeking to expand your board. Uh, how do you go about recruiting your board and selecting board members? Because I, I know, again, looking at your website, you've got some really high-powered board members. And obviously, you need a lot of resources to be able to uh, address this big mission that you have. Tell us about your board recruitment. Yeah, you know, you, you really can't overstate how important the board is to the work that Malaria No More does. Um, we have visionary board members. We have people at, at very high levels of, of uh, political influence, but also uh, kind of influence and in careers in the, the business sector. You know, our two founders, uh, Ray Chambers and Peter Chernin, are both really accomplished business leaders um, who, who also operate in the the political sphere. Um, you, you mentioned resources. Certainly our board is important in terms of fundraising, but really the fun part for them and for me and, and the team is to work with them as part of the mission. Um, you know, we engage individual board members to uh, bring their strengths, their expertise, and uh, kind of activate their networks. Uh, and I, I could give lots of examples of this, but to take one, um, you know, one of our board members is the chief communications officer at 21st Century Fox. Uh, so they own, you know, all the entertainment properties, but also Fox News. And uh, Julie Henderson is her name. You know, we, we knew that we needed to uh, elevate the, the success story around malaria uh, in this new administration. And so we worked with Julie to go in and see and brief some of the top producers and and uh, on-air talent uh, at
Fox News about this issue. Fortunately, we have some longstanding friends there, anchors like Martha McCallum, who's actually traveled with us and seen this work firsthand. But we were able to update them and get them excited. Uh, and that set the stage for some really uh, important coverage by Fox News of the announcements, uh, the speech by President Trump at the UN General Assembly, the announcement of expansion of U.S. government programs. And so it's just one example of how we work with board members really as a kind of extension of the team uh, to advance this mission. So as we think about new board members uh, and, and how we continue that kind of relationship with our board, we're, we're thinking about uh, people with expertise in these new geographies. We're thinking about people with networks and, and uh, access in these geographies. And uh, we're actually just about to announce a, a series of new board members. Uh, I can mention two of them. Well, you know, one I already mentioned, uh, Ambassador Rich Verma, the first Indian-American uh, U.S. ambassador to India, uh, has, has just joined our board. And, and his strategic advice uh, has just been invaluable as we think about our work in India. You know, we're also adding uh, Kieran Murphy, who's the, the CEO of GE Healthcare. Um, they actually just announced this morning that they're spinning GE Healthcare out, and, and Kieran will be leading that effort. Uh, but, you know, Kieran has a terrific background that spans, you know, healthcare, but also crop science and, and animal science. And so he's really got so much to offer in terms of thinking about all the elements of this malaria fight, uh, you know, how we protect people, how we deal with the parasite, how we deal with the vector mosquitoes that spread this disease. And so those are two examples of, of the kind of people we're bringing on board to help uh, take this mission to the next level uh, over the next handful of years. That's excellent. Well, thanks for explaining that. And um, the last question I have for you is this, what are the biggest barriers to your work to end malaria? I mean, this is a huge goal. We've said that over and over. Uh, you have a lot of barriers, it would be my guess. You know, you're in different countries, you're all over the globe. This is a big disease. Uh, what would you say are the biggest barriers to end malaria in our generation? Well, we'd probably need a whole nother podcast to talk about that, Rob. <laughs> it, you know, it is a, it is a challenging um, issue. Um, you know, I, I think rather than focus on specific barriers, I, I think the key is how do you overcome them? Because you're you're always going to run into challenges, whether you're starting up in a new market and there are kind of things you didn't know or didn't anticipate about about doing that, or or just the you know the the, the kind of winds can shift. And you know, we've weathered a, a number of challenges. For instance, when Ebola emerged and uh, West and Central Africa, and, and it absolutely kind of took everything else off the agenda. You know, how do you keep uh, progressing in a mission like Malaria No More is when, when those things happen? You know, and, and I think it comes down to uh, resilience, to having the right kind of board and staff and, and staying focused on um, how do you work around those things. And our team uh, has been incredibly entrepreneurial. In, in doing that, um, and it's you know it's, it's almost individual acts of heroism as as uh, as people confront those barriers, kind of lean on their peers and the organization for help, but then find creative solutions to to work around them. And you know it's one of the things we look for. It's one of the things that we kind of prize and and encourage 
in in our team is is the ability to be adaptable, to be nimble, uh, to to respond to new information and, and find new solutions. And um, you know, we've uh, we've been able to do it. That's fantastic. Well, again, my guest today is Martin Edlin, CEO of Malaria No More, a fast-growing nonprofit uh, that has a bold goal of Indian malaria within our generation. Martin, for my listeners, and I encourage all my listeners to check out this nonprofit if you have not already heard about them, uh, how would they find out about you? How, how do they find out more about Malaria No More? So you can go to malarianomore.org. There's lots of information there and, and lots of ways you can help. You know, we talked about some, some big numbers and, and government partnerships, but one of the things that's so compelling about malaria is at the end of the day, you know, it only takes a dollar to buy and deliver a full course of life-saving treatment. So, you know, whether you're uh, the, the CEO of a corporation or a, a government decision maker or a kid running a lemonade stand like my daughter Merritt has done on a number of occasions, everybody can kind of pitch in and, and be a part of what we think will be uh, a, a historic success for this generation. So I invite you to learn more and get involved. Sounds good. Well, Martin, again, thanks so much for taking time to be on the show. Again, my listeners, check out Malaria No More. They're doing wonderful things. I mean, it's incredible to think that there's countries already, because of your work and, and the partnerships you've built, that can truly be declared malaria-free. I mean, that's remarkable. That Those are true results. So thanks for all you do. Keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Rob. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.